is the BearCast, presented by Bird Culture Ford. Bird Culture Ford has been in Waco since 1936. Ford is the number one selling truck in Texas, 43 years running. The BearCast is also presented by WellMed Medical Management and USMD Health System Dallas. Here's Craig Smoke and Grayson Grundhafer. Good afternoon. Welcome into a brand new edition of the BearCast on Sikkim365.com, 365 Sports on YouTube. Hope you're having a good day. Uh, no matter if you're joining us live, like right now, or if you're catching us later on the replay or on your various podcast feeds, we do appreciate you, Craig Smoke, joined as always by Grayson Grunhafer, also joined behind the scenes by Garrett Ross and Jack McKenzie, and we have the NBA draft that is now come and gone, and uh, certainly a player to talk about coming out of that from a Baylor perspective, but actually another as well who signed with the team post-draft. Also have the wrap-up, I guess, of the June visits uh, for Baylor football after a fast and furious month of various players making their way to campus and a handful of commits along the way. A couple more uh, now entering the fray for the class of 2024 for Dave Aranda and the Bears, so we will get into that as well. Also, we'll have your mailbag to close out the uh, episode, as we always do, at the very end, uh, which comes courtesy of the premium section of Sikkim365.com. If you're a Baylor fan, haven't already become a member, now's a great time to do so, right ahead of Big 12 Media Days, which is two weeks away uh, from getting underway at AT&T Stadium in Arlington. So, Grayson, a lot going on, man. Um and just really no end in sight as far as, I guess, maybe in August there might be a slight lull between media days and the actual kickoffs. But I'm sitting here, we're starting to write previews, and everybody's writing you know things about what's upcoming. And it's it's right around the corner, man. But uh, first things first, how you doing this week? Yeah, it just means a couple more months of talking about conference realignment, right, Craig? We just get to keep uh, Hopefully it not up. that long. Hopefully <laughs> there's some uh, resolution before then at this point. But, uh, yeah, I mean, if that needs to, to carry over, I'm sure it'll find the way to do so. Well, and, of course, even if there is resolution, we're going to be talking about it a ton because it's a huge storyline mm-hmm. that we're just going to continue to monitor. But, yeah, I mean, it was a good week, I felt like, as far as official visits to talk about, commitments to talk about, and, of course, the NBA draft, which is always a lot of fun and uh, seeing another guy get drafted um, was really, really cool for this Baylor program as we're continuing to see, you know, that program really take a leap and and really reach, you know, heights that we've never seen before um, since winning that national championship. So that's, that's obviously been very, very cool to see on draft nights. And to be clear, before we dive fully into uh, the NBA draft to at least start things off, uh, I'm fine if we do end up talking realignment. I would just prefer that we have like another chapter to talk about. Yeah. I would like for the Pac-12, do they, don't they deal, mm-hmm. I would like that to just get solved so yeah. we can sort of just say, okay, that was fun. Let's pivot to what the next thing is. That's that's where I'm coming from at this stage. But, yeah, that should, uh, you would think, have some resolution here in the relatively near future, and if it doesn't, then that itself would be a story as well. So we monitor and we continue monitoring uh, that whole situation because it could, in fact, have an impact on the Big 12 and just the rest of college football as a whole. But uh, let's settle in now on Baylor and just the you know news of the week and, and the big happenings of the week. And I think uh, you know to start off with, we talked a bit about the draft leading up to uh, the festivities last week, the NBA holding their annual uh, player selection festivities, and 
you know, it's uh, it's a broadcast, quite frankly, where I think even basketball junkies have a hard time keeping up after a while because the format's just so silly, really. And that's something we talk about every year, and it never changes. But uh, there was reason to stay tuned in, and whether you had a loved one in there or you're just a casual fan or hardcore fan or whatever. From a Baylor perspective, you had Keontae George sitting out there, and you knew that uh, there was a good opportunity. He was going to be a first-round pick. That was basically all the talk there ever was about him. Maybe later on as the draft grew closer, there was some you know, sliding in the predictions, I guess, but never – was looked at as a guy who wasn't going to be a first-rounder. It's just a matter of how high he would go and uh, certainly flirting with the lottery. Uh, in most mock drafts, well, he finished just outside of the draft lottery by two spots. Number 16 overall, the Utah J- Jazz draft. Baylor guard Keontae George after his one season in Waco. And uh, they go ahead and make it official with him as they add another bear. And, you know, they've got uh, obviously some familiarity there in their front office. Uh, they had Jared Butler on their roster not too long ago. They drafted Royce O'Neal not that long ago. It's almost like they're the Cleveland Browns of the NBA draft right. as far as there being this this strange Baylor connection there. Uh, but what are your thoughts on Keontae going 16 uh, and to the Jazz? What do you think about that fit? And also the fact, like you kind of referred to, I mean, this is three straight years with a top 16 pick for Scott Drew and the possibility for four straight years uh, with Jacoby Walter uh, next season as he's already appearing in some mock drafts early on. But we can get to that. Your thoughts just, I guess, initially, yeah, on the Jazz and Keontae George. Well, I think a big part of this was the Dennis Lindsay connection. So he was Jake Lindsay. He's Jake Lindsay's dad, and he was with the Jazz for a long time. But then I believe he's left already, and so they're still you know drafting these Baylor players, which was really cool. Great for Keontae. I actually think it's a good landing spot for him. It'll give him an opportunity to play early, but also not have the pressures of, you know, having to win games, I wouldn't say. I think they're kind of one of those teams that's trending in the right direction, but not necessarily expected to compete in the near future. I think he'll need some time, but I do think it's going to end up being a nice landing spot for him, especially with the the kind of depth problems they have at the guard position. So I, in general, I think a good landing spot. He becomes uh, the third top 16 pick in the last three years for Baylor. They're the only program that can say that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, really, really cool to see that. Again, it just is continuing this trend. We mentioned kind of shortly after the NBA draft on Friday how I think Jacoby Walter could be a top 10 pick uh, next year. And then these all these pre-draft process started coming out, and you started to see, hey, Jacoby Walter, first-round pick pretty much everywhere. And I think it's trending in that direction based on what I've heard with summer workouts and just how he's uh, continuing to develop as a young player. So a lot of momentum, again, uh, for Baylor Bears in the draft. Yeah, you got to be careful with mock drafts this time of year, although basketball, far more of an inexact science, uh, or I guess more of an exact science than football when it's just, you know, there's so many more names and rounds and all that in football. Uh, in basketball, there's kind of a, I mean, you have teams just giving up second-round picks. They just forfeit them late in the draft because they don't have anybody that they care to draft. <laughs> and, like, it's just like they just forfeit the 20 or the, uh, you know, 38th pick or whatever. It's very strange. So a lot narrower of a pool in the NBA. So you do feel like if you're being projected as a first-round pick that there's a pretty good chance that's probably going to stick. So for Jacoby Walter – um, you know, got to play a, a season of college ball first here in, in Waco, but uh, he is getting that kind of love already, and, and that would be pretty cool to see if they can somehow just create and keep, continue building on this first-round streak, which is now up to three, thanks to Davion Mitchell a couple years ago, Jeremy Sohan 
uh, two years ago, and then uh, this, or I guess last year, and then this year, obviously with Keontae George now uh, a number sixteen overall pick. So pretty cool there, and um, he seemed happy. He seemed like a kid in a candy store. Whenever I've seen him interviewed since, uh, whether it's you know the airport showing up in Salt Lake City or whatever media outlet it was. Um, and man, it's just crazy to think like he's so young, Yeah, you know, he like, he just popped in, like didn't even do a full year of college and he's now probably already signed like a seven figure, mm. you know, merchandising deal or whatever. He it's looks pretty super nuts. young too. He, mean, uh, he it, does. Yeah, he, he does. He looks very young, but again, this is one of those guys who we saw the flashes last year. Just the problems late in the season, I, I think really specifically were about his injury. You know, he sprained his ankle, sat out a game, and then just he never looked the same explosiveness-wise, and the shooting really, it just kind of came and went, um, especially catch-and-shoot stuff. But I, I do think the pro game really will feature his skill set a lot more. Um, so I'm intrigued. I'm excited to see how he does going forward, and I'm excited for him. They were nothing but great. You know, a great Baylor family. He was a great Baylor Bear, and I, I think he represented the school really, really well. And that's kind of what you want to see for those one-and-done guys because, you know, they're here for such a short period of time. You're hoping they go to the pros, but then they keep coming back, like a Davion Mitchell has or a Macy O.T., guys like that, because that just builds on the culture of the program. For sure, and a couple other other notes coming out of this. Um I agree with you wholeheartedly. Keontae's got like that superstar appeal to him. He's like a baby face, and he's still so young. He's got so much room to prosper and grow. But you do see kind of just a cool factor with him that if he does click on the next level, then he could be a guy that really brings a lot of positive attention to the program. And uh, I think Jeremy Sohan's a guy like that as well. Uh, you may have seen him, seen him making the media rounds for NBA.com and having a lot of fun doing that. He's certainly got the media savvy. Uh, and could definitely see him doing more of that type of stuff, you know, as his career progresses. But cool to see him, um, you know, obviously with the Spurs, and they draft Victor Webinyama number one overall. He and Webinyama know each other. They were interacting quite a bit, so they've already got the chemistry, uh, as they will now be teammates uh, down in San Antonio as well. So, yeah, I definitely enjoyed that part of it. And uh, this also, and I brought this up on the show yesterday, but – you look at the the string of draft picks they now have uh, been putting together here over the last couple of seasons, and do you recall the fact that they went five years between 2016 and 2021 without a single draft pick? It sounds right, actually. I mean, they. I, I yeah. know, like everybody's like, yeah, it sounds, but like when you really think, that just still seems crazy, it though. Does. They got it does. Torian Prince drafted in 2016. He was a lottery pick. He was number mm-hmm. 12 overall. He's still bouncing around the league. Um, and where is he now? Minnesota, I think, is where, where he was. Yeah. yeah, in the playoffs. Yeah, yeah. Um, so he's with Minnesota, and they've got some good young players. But yeah, he was drafted in 2016 by the Utah Jazz, um, and was traded to Atlanta uh, right away. But uh, then, yeah, 17 nobody, 18 nobody, 19 nobody, 20 nobody, and then finally in 21 you had Butler and uh, or Mitchell, and then Butler, and then yeah, Kendall Brown, Jeremy Sohan. Keontae George since then. I guess the one that's in there that it's not really surprising. We kind of knew this was going to happen, and it's really becoming a problem with the college game, in all honesty. But Jonathan Motley not on that list, right? 
Um, and yeah. he was in between there, correct? I believe yeah. he was. And so he's not drafting. We, we've seen that. I mean, look at the most the uh, most valuable player in the Final Four um, from UConn, Sonogo. He didn't get drafted. You got Oscar Shibway not getting drafted. You got Zach right. Eady coming back to college because he wasn't going to get drafted. Or if he was, it was going to be later than he wanted, could make more going the NIL route. So the game has just changed so much. Um that it actually makes it harder to get drafted, especially if you're going to be focused around bigs. And so I think that the fact that Scott Drew and the staff really shifted to this more guard forward-oriented style of playing has really benefited them, I think, when it comes to the draft. Yeah, and it was a byproduct, too, of uh, injuries kind of yeah. forcing them into that situation and forcing a, a style change. Tristan and Clark, who was supposed to be a draft pick. Boils back down yeah. to was more of a focus on the bigs and then, you know, kind of had to uh, pivot, and that's led to a national title, uh, multiple lottery picks. Like, I mean, was that the greatest blessing in disguise maybe ever for this program? Uh, you know, would they have caught on maybe a year later or two and, and changed? Maybe, but the way that it worked out, I, I don't know how you don't see that as a massive yeah. blessing in disguise when all was said and done for the for the you know purpose of the program. So, yeah, that that drought seems like forever ago, but that's a you know that's pretty lengthy to not have anybody going at all. So fun to see that really get going, and that's an element of the program now that you continue building and, and really along with the title a couple of years ago and just being competitive in a consistently ranked team, uh, they're pretty much rocking on all cylinders right now as far as the uh, you know the various avenues that you want to be successful in as a program and being considered elite. They're kind of hitting around in all those right now. So um, that wasn't the only addition to the NBA, however. It was the only one through the draft, Keontae George, going to the Utah Jazz, but Adam Flagler, uh, who had declared, and you know, there's a lot of debate on what he's going to do, and eventually he settled into the draft, and we, I think, touched on it more than once that you know, in mock drafts, he was being looked at as a guy who could get drafted. He wasn't going to be a first round pick, but he could potentially be a second round pick, or he could go undrafted. And draft night rolls around, and sure enough, like there's again teams forfeiting picks there at the end because they just don't care for anybody. Um, and Flagler was still out there, doesn't get picked. But uh, quickly after the draft wrapped up, all the various free agent signings, and you got Summer League that'll be starting in Vegas here pretty soon, and teams scrambling to get guys. The Oklahoma City Thunder signed Adam Flagler uh, to a, a deal, so he'll have an opportunity to impress and uh, you know maybe even make the team. But opportunity is an opportunity, and uh, he's going to get one in Oklahoma City. So your thoughts on Adam Flagler? Well, the Thunder absolutely needs some shooting, and for him to go there and get to work with Shea Gilgis-Alexander and Josh Giddy, and I believe they also ended up with Kaysen Wallace on draft night, um, it's a really interesting team, and one that I actually think fits you know him really well if he can find a way to to really translate his game to the next level which is going to be a huge question mark he's not the most athletic guy he's not the tallest guy he's not the longest guy so he's gonna have to make up for that with passing basketball IQ and of course his shooting his shooting's gonna have to be really really good if he wants to actually make the roster but in general it's a good opportunity for Adam Flagler Um, unfortunately he was dealing with injuries throughout the pre-draft process which I think set him back now saying that I I don't think he was he not I don't think he was not going to be a first round pick so it really doesn't matter that much because once you get to the second round sometimes it's actually more ideal if you become an undrafted free agent because you can essentially not 
more more than likely you're able to pick your spot or at least have a better idea of where you want to go as opposed to just ending up somewhere that doesn't really fit what you're trying to do. And so I think in general this ends up being a blessing in disguise, I think, for Adam Flagler. Yeah, good opportunity. You mentioned Shea Gilgis-Alexander, uh, one of the better young players in the league and um, you know certainly a star that OKC is building around. And we'll see how Flagler can contribute to that. But uh, can't make the team if you don't have a chance. And so now he's got one with Oklahoma City. And best of luck to him along with Keontae George. So there's the NBA draft, number 16 overall pick and also an undrafted signee. And, um, you know, the rest of the way will be figured out here over the next few months. Uh, meanwhile, in football, um, and we'll see what Scott Drew and company can do now with some more, you know, you, you knew this was going to be a feather in their cap to use, the Keontae George eventually, but now they've got it and they can say, yeah, here's three straight drafts with a first rounder, and that'll be nice to to have in their in their arsenal of recruiting uh, stuff to, to go to. Uh, all right, so basketball's got that going on. Uh, meanwhile, football has... Uh, gotten to the end of June, and it's been a month of camps and visits and commitments, and there's a lot of recruiting, a lot of recruiting. That's what the time right now is focused on, and of course, the the season not too far away either. Uh, Here we are just about two months away and just two weeks away from actual media days up in Arlington, but a couple more commits coming out of uh, this past week to touch on. Uh, earlier in the week, uh, before they welcomed in this latest batch of visitors on campus, uh, they struck on Wednesday, I think it was, the day after we recorded, uh, with Tide Haven running back Joseph Dodds pledging to the Bears commitment number eight on the year. He's from El Maton, Texas, uh, six foot, 195 pounds. And uh, offers from you know various schools across the country. Texas Tech, uh, we had kind of touched on that. I think about uh, they'd picked up a commit, and that could that have helped Baylor? Well, eventually they got him. So whether it helped or not, uh, they they landed him. Uh, also UTSA, Missouri, Houston, Cal, Stanford, among some others as well. So your thoughts on the Bears landing a running back in uh, Joseph Dodds for the class of twenty four? Well, yeah, I mean, we talked about him a little bit last week, just the fact that things were trending in Baylor's direction, Mm -hmm. for sure. And he ends up giving his commitment uh, shortly after his official visit. Uh, To make things clear, he did take an official visit to Tech at the beginning of June. Then he took one to Missouri. Then he took one to Baylor. Uh, But I think the big thing here is he did take an official to Tech before they had a running back commit. So if he had decided to commit on that trip, I think they probably would have taken him. So I do view this as a direct head-to-head win for Baylor on the recruiting trail. As you mentioned a little bit before he made his decision, Tech did get a commitment from Jacoby Williams, a running back um, out of Beckville. But I think in general, this is a huge win for Baylor and one where you look at Dodds and he's a high three-star on 247 and on our website. He's about six foot, 195 pounds, had 12 touchdowns, 1,600 yards. Uh, Last season was a first-team all-district selection, had other offers from Stanford, Cal, and Houston. Uh, So in general, a really good prospect who fits exactly what they want um, in their wide zone scheme. Uh, When you watch him run, there's a lot of physicality, a lot of power um, that you see on tape, and I love seeing that. That's an absolute necessary uh, commodity to have if you're in this Baylor offense. But the biggest thing about Dodds that really makes him special in my eyes is when you turn on the tape and you see him run by the second level of the defense, people aren't catching him from behind. 
And if, you know, these past couple years, Baylor really hasn't had running backs that do that very often. Abram was an amazing running back, don't get me wrong, but he would get tracked down, you know, from behind a little bit. So to have an explosive guy like this where you're not really worried about him getting caught from behind, show some of that athleticism, some of that explosiveness, and a guy who I think really fits everything they want at the running back position. This is a really big pickup, I think, for the staff. And again, it, it continued the momentum that they've been building in the month of June. Yeah, I mean, it's been a steady trickle of commits over the last month. So uh, you get one there last week to extend it, and then uh, a second one pops uh, following the Weekend of visits as Tristan Santoro, offensive lineman from Shreveport Evangel Christian Academy down in uh, the boats in uh, Shreveport, Louisiana. Uh, Santoro commits to the Bears, had offers from La Tech and Memphis and Louisiana Lafayette to Lane, among some others. Uh, has some pretty good size at 6'6", 275 is listed on our website and he becomes commit number nine for the class of 2024. So the second of two commits, and this one on the O-line will be blocking for Joseph Dodds, uh, would seem to add up in the future. So uh, Tristan Santoro, I don't, his name doesn't seem to ring much of a bell for me, um, and I, maybe I just, you know, one in, in out the other, one in one ear out the other, I think is what I'm trying to say here. Uh, so kind of uh, give us some info on Tristan Santoro. Right. So he was actually offered a year ago um, by the Baylor staff. And just he's been on visits to Baylor, had, came for the junior day, everything like that. But it really wasn't clear whether he was a take or not in my eyes. Just the way that I viewed the situation. He didn't have a ton of offers. It, it didn't seem like it seemed like he would have committed way sooner is what it felt like, but it never happened. So you just kind of sit there and wonder, okay, you know, what's going to happen with him? We know there's interest on both sides, but is he going to make a decision soon? Is, you know, what's going on there? Um, then he showed up at Baylor's camp and we talked about this a little bit a couple weeks ago, but, um, I guess it was, so this past weekend he was on his official, so he was at the camp the weekend before, camped in front of Jeff Grimes and Eric Mateos. The two coaches spent extensive time with him one-on-one, like seeing his movements, seeing if he could perform the drills they needed to see, seeing how coachable he was, and, and all these things, just trying to get a read on the kind of player that he was put in front of them. And ultimately, from that point, that it seemed like, okay, now things are trending in the right direction because he's a perfect culture fit. He's very coachable. He's 6'6", 275 pounds. He's got a great wingspan. He's a guy who fits what they're looking for and is a guy who Eric Mateos and Jeff Grimes can mold into being a really, really good offensive lineman uh, for Baylor in the future. I know a lot of people are... I don't know if upset's the right word, but maybe disappointed in his offer list. I understand that. Um, But at times... You know, schools don't evaluate the best, and at times, schools see different things. Coaches see different things in prospects that matter more to them. And to Eric Mateos and Jeff Grimes, they saw everything they need to see in Tristan Santoro. He came back on his official visit and then went ahead and committed to Baylor. So... Uh, I'm just curious here, but what were they wanting from the offer list? Was it like A&M and Texas? Is that what the expectation is? I think it's more so why hasn't Oklahoma State or TCU okay. or like the, the schools that are on the level with Baylor, why have they not offered? Because most of his offers are pretty much in-state schools okay. uh, in Louisiana. Also, quick note, uh, in case anyone didn't know, this is the same school as Blake Shapin, same high school right. uh, that Blake Shapin was at. Yeah, I mean, Shreveport Evangel, I mean, I don't know how big of a deal they are nowadays, but it 
least in my era, um, they were pretty well known as one of the top programs in the entire country, high school football-wise, there for a while. Um, and, you know, that could have had something to do with a little bit of recruiting at the high school level down in Louisiana. Not that that state would ever, in any way, ever bend the rules uh, at all in any way, <laughs> shape, or form, especially for athletics purposes. But, um, yeah, they were a, a hot ticket there for a while. And uh, I don't know, maybe is that kind of worn off a little bit, Shreveport Evangel? I think it has a little bit. Yeah. John, yeah. John Curtis and them have kind of... That was a long right, time yeah. ago, yeah. So, yeah, that is the same school as Blake Shape, and they've got a good bit of history. Um, but, yes, that's where he's from as well. So, um, yeah, Tristan Santora joins the fold, and congrats to him. <laughs> no matter what some message board folks are thinking about whatever, uh, I think it's great that, you know, he wants to join the class, and there's commit number nine for the class of 2024. Yeah, and the key thing here is that he had visited the weekend prior and actually competed in a camp. Like, this wasn't one of those things where it was just like, oh, put out an offer, and then we're just going to take him, and who cares about the offer list? This was, we're going to offer him, we're going to keep talking to him for a year, build this great relationship, and then he decides to come to camp and compete and show them everything they need to see. I think that's very telling about what, you know, the view that Eric Mateos and Jeff Grimes have of him, and kind of, they got to see it firsthand, right? So they know what they're getting in Tristan Santoro, which makes him very nice pickup. He's also the second offensive lineman in this class, joining Colton Siraki. So um, Baylor's getting close to being full on the offensive line there. They might have one more spot, but that's probably pushing it a little bit. So up to uh, nine commits now for the class of 2024, and their second offensive lineman, as you mentioned, their first running back commit. Uh, So that's what they get done uh, last week on the recruiting trail, and uh, you'd think are probably about halfway to their class. I mean, give or take. I mean, we always – just 20, just ballpark 20. Mm-hmm. Find a way there normally. So they're at nine now, so they're probably close to halfway. And, and of course, that could ebb and flow depending on any number of factors. But um, there you have it as far as um, the two pledges from this past week. I do have – before we – get into the rest of football. I do want to at least mention this in passing because it is a little bit of breaking news. Um, and this is just an update. This isn't like – in fact, it's not a great thing for Baylor fans because he's a former player, but Colby Branch has decided on his next destination. He will be playing baseball after an all-Big 12 freshman campaign in Waco. Um, he announced he would be leaving. He is going to Georgia. So Colby Branch – joining the Georgia Bulldogs baseball program. Just tweeted that out a wow. uh, few minutes ago. Weird landing spot. <laughs> you, you have a shocked look on your that face. That is a weird, because, I, I mean, I Georgia. might be wrong on this, but I, Georgia, I, aren't they like a mid-tier, bottom-tier SEC? I believe so, yeah. baseball? Like, I... That's I guess that baseball money's flowing through the whole conference. I don't I, know. I don't I know, know what the connection is Everything there. that we've heard was he wanted to go somewhere to win, like, you're not winning at Georgia. Like, who who are you beating? Who are you beating at Georgia? You're going to beat Tennessee. You're going to beat LSU. You're going to beat Mississippi State. You're not beating those schools. It, probably not beating A&M either. This is, whew, this is very interesting. This kind of, I don't know, this is one of those weird decisions I mean, that they, we see. They were, uh, they finished in sixth place in their division. <laughs> uh, 11 and 19 in conference play. Oh. They were... 29 and 27 overall. So, yeah, uh, they finished. If it, it looks like they finished, wow. um, let's see, I guess if you count the conference, they finished like 10th out of 14 in the SEC ahead of Missouri by like a game. 
Uh, and then ahead of, and that was the only team in the East they were ahead of was Missouri. And then like a game or two better than Mississippi State. And then Ole Miss was by far, or Ole Miss was not very good at all. They won yeah. six conference games. So they were a handful of games better than than Ole Miss as well. So yeah, but even historically, like Ole Miss and Mississippi State yeah. in recent years, they've been like really good. Mm-hmm. This is well, weird. Mississippi State won a title here really yeah. recently, like a couple years ago, right? Yeah, Georgia just hired LSU's pitching coach as their new head coach. There too. you go. So which there is, you go. Which, but he's not a pitcher. That's weird yeah. too. Okay, I, I mean, interesting. Well, okay, so that's an interesting thing though because they're announcing, I guess, on the same day, right? The LSU pitching coach was that announced it, today? It happened during the tournament, like uh, I believe it was during Wake Forest that that was announced, okay. and then now this, yeah, that lined up. Wow, interesting decision there, and not at all what I thought was going to happen yeah. there. I thought he was going to go to some powerhouse or a program that was, you know on the precipice of winning a national championship. Yeah, so. pitch, LSU pitching coach Wes Johnson, now the Georgia head coach who Garrett's referring to. So, yeah, Colby Branch joining him and the Bulldogs. So I passed that along because I've been wondering myself, of like, where's his offers? Like, where's he going to end up going, you know? Just right. kind of want to see. And, uh, yeah, that just came down. So, there you go. All right, um, well, uh, back to football. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, let's reset the table now a little bit. The June visits have, what, come and gone now. Uh, all these these – Fast and feverish weekends of trips and commits and offers, lots of offers that were doled out to various upcoming classes. Uh, there are nine pledges. You've got, what, a little bit of a lull kind of on the horizon here um, as July 4th about to hit and going to hit the second half of the summer months. And then, obviously, the staff's going to start battening down the hatches, get ready for media days, recruiting, all that kind of stuff. So that's sort of where we are, midsummer approaching so what does that mean for recruiting, standing at nine commits? What's on deck as far as, you know, the next moves of this class and what to look out for and, and those types of things? Right. So the dead period started yesterday. Um, so we're entering that. That's going to last until the end of July. Uh, there'll be a weekend in there in July that I'm kind of targeting as a potential extra official visit date for the Baylor staff. Uh, that has not been the case in in past seasons where they've had a July official visit date, but I'm kind of getting the impression that they're going to because they really, the number of official visits they had on campus was not a high number during the month of June. They really took a select few guys and brought them in on officials, and I think they might have one more at the end of July for like, you know, seven or eight guys that maybe weren't able to get on campus in June. Um, but in general, you're right. They're at nine commits right now. Um, I'm expecting them to get to 10 here in the next couple of days, uh, maybe even today. And then past that, we have decisions coming up in the relatively near future. So let's go through a couple of those. So uh, Dylan Hip, Desert Mountain, tight end uh, out of Arizona. He took his official visit this past weekend. He's between Ole Miss and Baylor. Uh, he told me that decision is not going to come this week um, and that he's still he's got a lot to think about, essentially. Uh, but I do think it will come in the near future, so probably next week uh, for Dylan Hip to decide between Baylor and Ole Miss. Um, another name to look at is Corner Canyon, Utah, uh, 
linebacker, Bo Tate. He took his official visit to Oklahoma State this weekend. Uh, The weekend prior, he took his official visit to Baylor, and now he's nearing a decision actually on Thursday between those two schools. So he's got a decision uh, coming up in the very, very near future. And then, uh, like I said, Baylor's trending in the right direction for another commit this week uh, outside of those two as well. Um, And that's kind of where the table is at as far as incoming decisions outside of that I still think Baylor's only working with about seven eight spots right now which I know is pretty shocking and ultimately I think they're going to end up closer to 20 uh, commits in this class but right now with the numbers the way they are they don't have a ton of room and so for that reason I think they've been very selective with the prospects they've brought on campus and very kind of restrictive with how many people they you know take commitments from as well. So, I in yeah, kind of like I said earlier, eighteen to twenty commits at the moment. Mm-hmm. So they're about halfway there, dead period. So there's not a ton of activity ongoing. Yeah, final and, camp will be at the end of July as well. Final camp at the end of July. So a little bit of a wait to get to to the um, to the, the camp there at the end of the July. Yeah, about, about a month ago, obviously. Right, and they have six commits or f- what five commits in the month of June. Like I said, I'm expecting there to be another one at least one more in the month of June, then depending on Bo Tate's decision, there could be another one in this class. So once again, I mean, Baylor gaining momentum in the month of June. This has been a theme for Dave Rand and the staff. It makes sense. That's when their official visits are, but they've really capitalized on the month of June once again, kind of like we thought they would. All right. Uh, anything else uh, football-related or, uh, I guess, a headline perhaps that we haven't touched on? I mean, we are in the dog days now. Uh, look no further than stepping outside, and you can feel that we're in the dog days of summer. Um, but now we're going to hit the dead period. We're going to have a little bit of a lull till media days. And I feel like kind of dust has settled because everybody's kind of jumped around transfer-wise. Uh, recruiting has been in the forefront, but like we just got done saying, like that's about to just kind of pause for a second uh, somewhat. But anything before we get into a, a mailbag, we can take our time with that for once, actually. But uh, anything we haven't touched on just yet? Uh, not quite. I know Colt just posted about a new staff edition um, for an interesting role. So, I, I mean, I guess that's something that we can mention. Um, but Director of Team Development, uh, Zach Sheets, uh, has okay. been hired, which is very interesting. Uh, he handled most of the school's discipline, facilitated staff professional development, and was a resource and thinking partner for teachers, students, teachers and students to solve problems to prepare for success post high school. This is interesting. He implemented effective student and staff character development programs as well. I think the reason I say this is so interesting is just because of the simple fact that. This is something that Dave Rand is clearly taking very seriously. This whole culture, student-athlete discipline, making sure that everyone is on the same page. I, this is just fascinating to see how he's addressed all these things throughout the offseason. Yeah, I mean, you know, they, uh, I think, have to win some games to get everybody mm-hmm. kind of on board and, and gain some of their momentum back that maybe they, they let slip out of their hands a little bit last year because I do think that the year prior was so great that they're – was inevitably going to probably be a little bit of a swing down, but it was like way more of a swing down than anybody yeah. expected. And, you know, he's gone about this offseason trying to correct whatever issues came up, and I think he's been, you know, very thoughtful like he is with everything and, and has done his due diligence in trying to figure out the ways to to shape this program into, you know, what it needs to be. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, I think he's very calculated and careful. And I also think he just views this differently than, you know, every other job in America. Not like as far as, you know, when he talks about Baylor and the connection and the difference there, like the fact you can openly speak about your faith, for example, and things like that. You know, I think in one of the ways they're also going to probably be different than some other programs is kind of things like this. I mean, mm-hmm. not that not others, you know, nobody else has a a guy in a team development role or that's, you know, working on some of the similar things. But I just think there is going to be such a concerted focus, and that's part of the mission of being here as opposed to just saying that maybe some other places where it, it rings a little more hollow because it's mm-hmm. sort of what you're supposed to say. I think that's the pull for him here is that, like in the era of NIL and craziness, like that is Baylor's pull as they're right. not like just throwing NIL money around and just win at all costs and and things like that. It is more of like, hey, I'm going to actually develop and build young men and, you know, the person over player thing. Like that's, you know, legitimate. That's as 100% authentic as it gets. And so, yeah, it plays into the person over player. And just, you know, overall you're seeing hires like this at various places. You know, there's all these other auxiliary roles and things, but – you know, develop, team development really does, you know, ring true when you hear him talk about what he's trying to build here. Yeah, and honestly, no official visit date has that phrase been brought up more than this past one. I mean, it was brought up a ton, person over player, just the recruits' reaction to that. And we've been asked so many times, I feel like, about does that matter? Is that impactful? Does it really move the needle for recruits? And again, once again, the recruits that Baylor wants, the recruits that Baylor actually really wants in their program, they definitely, that, that makes a big deal to them. And the ones who Baylor doesn't want are the ones who don't really care about that. And so I I do think it's a huge thing, and it's a key thing that Dave Rand has built this program around. And he's clearly kind of living every day by that as well with the actions that he's made this offseason. I think he kind of looked inside, and he's mentioned it. You know, last year there were problems in in that regard. And so fixing those has been very important, and we're we're seeing that. And that's very important as we enter the summer and then, of course, uh, getting closer to the fall. Yeah, I, I just think that, uh, you know, there can be a lot of lip service sometimes and you hear about the development of young men and things like But, yeah. like, it's really true with him. Like, it truly is. That really is. And I think, again, that's the pull with Baylor for him as opposed to being, at, like, you know, LSU or something. And I don't mean to knock them. It's just it's a different animal. It's a different mm-hmm. different type of institution and just a way of thinking. And so that doesn't fit him as much. He'd, ha- he'd be getting crucified for the recruiting ranking right now for, you know, but like, even yeah. if it was like the team itself was perfect and everything was going really well, like, but why are we two spots behind Alabama, you know, and here, mm-hmm. yeah, you hear that about TCU or tech or whatever uh, in the summer or at any given point, but you know, it's, I don't know. It's just, he's, he's got his niche uh, in, in Waco that fits him and his personality. And so, yeah, adding some more team development, uh, adding somebody in a role like that or, you know, doing different exercises to bring that along. That's just – that's this program uh, with him at the at the top, and that's what they're going to do. And yeah. so uh, interesting to see, you know, some additions like that. Definitely. So one more football nugget that I wanted to touch on. I, I'm hearing, and the, the more I've heard it throughout the offseason, I'm not sure that Utah quarterback Cam Rising is going to be ready for the beginning of the season. And if he is, I'm curious how that mobility is going to work if he does end up playing. But something that I think is becoming a reoccurring thing that I've been kind of reading about, hearing about, and it's a game that I think a lot of people have kind of circled as, hey, Baylor's probably going to lose that game. Or Baylor, you know, it's at least a swing game. 
if Cam Rising's not playing in that game, do you view that as a just kind of one of those games that Baylor should win at that point? Or is it still one of those, ah, complete toss-up, even if Rising isn't 100% or not playing? I think they should win it uh, at home, first month of the yeah. season, no starting quarterback. Like, yeah, damn sure should win that game. But, you know, would it shock me if they don't? I mean, I guess it would depend on how it happens. But, yeah, if they don't have Cam Rising, then I definitely think you would favor Baylor in that situation. Um, but at the same time, I did see Rising pop back at a BYU fan who brought up that rumors have it that he's not mm-hmm. healthy, and that and then he like had a response to that BYU fan that right. basically was like, "Shut your mouth! You have no idea what you're talking about." Yeah, and and that's and I've seen that as well. But I, I think in general, the questions that have been popped up are definitely not going to be questions that are completely false at this point. Like he. Cam Rising can say whatever he wants. There's no way on June 27th he knows he's playing in that game okay. after when he tours ACL. He doesn't know that. And I just think these these minor reports, these minor just little news nuggets about when he's going to be ready, how healthy he's going to be, it's something to definitely monitor. And for Baylor in general, that would be huge news if Cam Rising is limited or uh, if he doesn't play. But I think in general, the more we hear about this, the more it really comes back to, hey, he's probably going to be somewhat limited in his mobility the first couple months of the season. No one really comes back from an injury like that and is fully 100% the very next season we see it all the time in the NFL um so just something to think on when you're looking through Baylor's schedule and you're saying oh Utah so good top 10 team they're gonna lose that game I'm not so sure about that because if you really dive deeper into Utah and who they are without Cam Rising they're not the same team without him he's a very very good player and very important to their success so I just felt like that might be something to bring up just for everyone kind of out there looking at Baylor's schedule in the summer. Yeah, I mean, and even with him, I haven't chalked that up to automatically being a loss. Yeah, um, right. So, uh, you know, I think that that's being maybe a little bit too uh, negative. Uh, maybe, I don't know. Uh, you know, I could certainly understand thinking Utah is the better team or will win that game, especially if he's healthy. But I haven't, yeah, I mean, that's a a week two non-con game. I mean, who the hell knows who ends up winning that game by the time we roll around to it. I certainly haven't ruled out a, a victory for Baylor in that scenario with or without him. So, right. uh, yeah, it is something to monitor, though, because without him, that would certainly, you think, would swing the, the favor in into their direction uh, far more than, than maybe people think they have a chance right now. So, yeah, seen some of that, and... Uh, who the heck knows, but he's certainly playing the game, at least publicly, you know, and not letting too much be known right now about his status and, and what to expect. They do play Florida before they play Baylor, so yep. um doesn't mean he'd play in that game to have to play against Baylor. He could pop up in week two, but... That's a redemption game, so... Yeah. Because they lost that game last right. year, so I, if he's healthy enough to play against Baylor the next week, I would bet everything that he's playing in the Florida game. I would I would think that'd be pretty shocking. Oh, he's just a he needs one more week. Ah, mm-hmm. that's a little fishy. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, it all depends on you know what the doctors say and, right. and where he is, and and maybe you say, well, maybe let's not throw him out there week one. Let's just give it a little more time and get him into week two. I don't know. We'll, <laughs> we'll have to see when we get there. Uh, but yeah, his status is at least somewhat uncertain at the moment. Um, all right. Meanwhile, I kind of touched on some other notes like Baylor, uh, baseball got another pickup and, you know, you've got, uh, just various menu- parts as far as rosters go, uh, 
tennis is getting somebody one week, and the next week it's baseball, and the next week it's softball, and the next week. So if you want to get more of that, um, you know, the good, bad, the ugly, I try to include all those notes every week, and there's just general discussion on the boards as well. And sometimes that'll get brought up in the, in the mailbag too. Um, but just wanted to make mention that, yeah, there's, there's a couple of other things out there, but I think we pretty much covered the big stories for this week. So let's dive into the mailbag and start off with Alpha Needle, who says several players coming to Baylor via the transfer portal have increased their professional stock value. Siaki Ika and Jalen Bridges come to mind. Can you name any players who have transferred out of Baylor and have increased their professional stock value because of their new university? Yeah, the initial one that came to mind right when this was, you know, posted. And I I think we have to look at this a couple of different ways, but when this player left Baylor, his draft stock was not there because he was not eligible of being drafted quite yet. And so the answer for me for this question is Jared Stidham. Um, He left Baylor. He ended up getting drafted. I know coming out of high school, he was highly thought of, but so was Siaki Ika. Like, both those guys were expected to eventually be draft picks. Um, So Stidham is the one that I think his professional stock value grew, but mainly that was because of how young he was when he did transfer from Baylor to Auburn. Yeah, I mean, I think he was circled as an NFL guy before he left Stephenville. But so was Apu. Right. If they're in the same Well, I mean, I don't really – agree with him on increasing the I don't agree with the Siaki example I'm just saying in general so yeah I mean that would line up the same way of they were already expected to kind of be that way but um yeah I mean yeah it could have turned out differently for both had they gone different routes I suppose but yeah I I just think that Jared Sidham as a guy had he not gone to the NFL that would have been the story Mm -hmm. would have been like the lack of development would have been the shocker because I think that was kind of his uh his thought, or that—that that was the thought process around him pretty early on, and he definitely would have developed with the staff that oh, was here. Yeah. He would eventually, have no doubt yeah. been a, a higher draft pick, you would think, and probably have done a lot more things eventually. Yeah, I think uh, a couple others that come to mind. So, and this is a really, I, uh, I guess, a smaller. Actually, I don't even think he's considered a transfer. So never mind. He decommitted and didn't sign Jade Barron. He got out of his letter of yeah. intent. So I don't think his con- is considered a transfer. And I think he would have been developed pretty well here as he well. Yeah. But but at the time, I guess he didn't have anything. And then like going back basketball wise, like Lawrence Roberts, uh, because you know he left, went to Mississippi State. His draft stock went soaring high. I mean, I even think um, a BJ Thompson got to the NFL this year from SFA. But that's one again. But he got kicked off the team. I know, and yeah. he was, and he would have been developed here anyway. So they, I don't think he counts really either. So I think Alpha Neal's saying when they left, their draft stock was at this point, and then where was it after their next school? And so like BJ Thompson had no draft stock when he got to Baylor, but then he ends up being drafted. That's how I'm reading this at least, because obviously we could sit here and say, well, Sidham would have been drafted anyways, or whoever would have been drafted anyways, but they weren't drafted from Baylor. I did guess. they increase their know. stock value? I mean, I don't know. I don't know that Sidham really did. Yeah. Honestly, I think maybe had stayed in Waco or uh, the situation remained the same. No doubt his stock would have been higher because he would have put up a billion yards and thrown a million touchdowns. And- but he would have had to go through the 2016 season where he was benched behind Seth Russell. We already knew he was benched going into the year till Seth got hurt. And then 2017, they went one and 11, what they were going to win maybe like, yeah, but I'm four games. Yeah. But I'm also saying if everything had stayed the same, oh, not had he played okay. for Matt rule well, and the you yeah. know, post scandal. And I'm saying, had they just played as is, then yeah, he would have been a first round draft pick yes. probably. Yes. Um, BJ Thompson, had he just stayed and developed under Matt rule, 
may have gotten drafted higher than he did. So, yeah, I don't even know if those apply. So, yeah, I don't know if there's a ton of great examples, Alpha Needle, of players who left and they flourished more so than expected after the fact. Um, and, you know, to be fair, I mean, Jalen Bridges was already a pretty good player, but fair enough, Scott Drew will have polished him up a bit more. Uh, Ika, with the development under Aranda and Johnson and those guys, um, I mean, he was already kind of a prospect NFL-wise, but, okay, they put him over the top. Jared Butler. Jared Butler uh, would be a good example. So, yeah, maybe not a lot of options out there, but, um, you know, they've done a good job with the, the players. Mitchell. <laughs> Davion yeah. Mitchell will be a good one. So, yeah, there, there's some examples for you. Scotty B., the Baylor King, which B- Big 12 football coach outside of Aranda do you look forward to most at Media Days? Anyways, I'm thrilled by the new addition for women's tennis. Solid player from Iowa State. She has a universal tennis rating that is .08 away from the number one singles for Baylor last year who left to Oklahoma earlier this offseason. A lot of movement in women's tennis, apparently, um, like everything else in college sports. But, um, yeah, great that they've got a new addition uh, there for women's tennis. uh, Again, every program's kind of retooling at the moment. But uh, which Big 12 football coach outside of Aranda do you most look forward to meeting at Media Days? You know, I kind of wanted to go with a new one when I saw this question. I'm kind of looking forward to hearing from Gus Malzahn. For some reason, I have no idea. The guy sometimes seems boring, but I feel like he'll give a headline of some kind. I'm also really happy that Dana Holgerson is back because he'll say some just off-the-cuff stuff that you love to hear. Um, so I'd probably go with those two guys. I, you know, there's I'm always intrigued by pretty much all these coaches, but I, I like seeing the new the new ones come in because we've, we've heard from the other guys before for the most part. Yeah, you know, I actually enjoy Sark. I'm not a Texas fan by any means, but uh, I've enjoyed listening to him a little bit. Um, or Like, that was unique. And then Venables last year as well, kind of dipping our toes and, and, you know, getting to kind of be around those guys. So that won't be all that new. So, yeah, I guess it would have to be like Kalani Sataki. I mean, we've talked to him a few times on the show, but uh, looking forward to kind of how he handles himself and, you know, does the big press conference with the whole media section and, makes his way around all the various tables doing interviews. Like, that's going to be a big opportunity for for all four of these schools. But um, I've enjoyed what he's done at BYU and um, have enjoyed our conversations with him previously. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to just seeing him in that setting because that'll be an entirely new backdrop to uh, the conversation. Um, anyway, uh, okay, you mentioned the, uh, the tennis part of this uh, uh, with the pickup there. So thank you, Scotty B., Useless Kim degree. With all of the home games this year, we will get to see more of the all goal. Will we get to see more of the all goal uniforms? Will they be reserved for a special occasion? Might be the only one who loves seeing the bell pepper yellow from head to toe, but it's by far my favorite combo from the recent update. The full banana, huh? Um, mm-hmm. I I like it. It's fine, but I think they're only going to use it once. I don't know why they would use it more than one time. Um, they normally don't. But yeah, yeah, I think they'll use it at least once. Yeah, I would imagine. I think a lot of that just depends on the player's preference and, you know, kind of what they're into and what they want to wear. But uh, I think the all yellow uh, has come around. I know when they initially kind of uh, threw it out there, there were some, you know, especially the all banana kind of like, what? What is all this yellow? Mm -hmm. But, you know, it kind of has some flash to it, you know, in the right setting. I think it looks sharp and um, it's definitely not for everybody. But, uh, yeah, I would imagine we see it at least once next year. And uh, any more than that, I think, yeah, it'll, it'll, again, depend on just kind of the, the the team itself and what they prefer and what their kind of fashion sense is. And, you know, I'd, I'd like to see some more of the mixing and matching. I know that there's been a lot of talk about that as far as, you know, the, the not the solid colors up and down, but more of a, 
here's the green helmet and the yellow jersey and the green pants right. and, you know, kind of comboing it up a little bit more. We haven't seen them really explore that, I don't mm-hmm. feel like. But, uh, you know, I guess that's something else just to, you know, be on the lookout for potentially. But that also will depend on, well, Aranda and then his players, the players and, yeah. and what they want to wear. So, yeah, we'll see it. Just don't don't know the answer to, to what extent, Kim Degree. Appreciate you. T-Rex, you're not alone uh, talking about the yellow. Uh, you're not alone in recognizing that our official school colors pop beautifully in seas of opposing fans. And T-Rex with uh, his all-yellow get-up in this picture, along with a buddy. And uh, they definitely stand out in a sea of crimson Oklahoma fans in this picture. So, yeah, that yellow definitely pops. Uh, he's got a nice world title belt there, custom uh, Baylor world title belt. So, uh, looking good, T-Rex. Uh, with the chain, the whole getup. I'm just, I'm, yeah. I'm going through the whole thing here, but yeah, the yellow definitely pops. Uh, that 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 shade makes you stand out. So uh, he's a fan as well. Kim Degree enjoyed it, and uh, and said as much. So thank you guys. Big tw- uh, Big Cheese eighty three. If you could predict three players that are going to earn a single digit for the first time this year, who would you predict? Um, you know, they haven't made as much of a big deal about the single digits. It's mostly flown under the radar as far as they just kind of award them. It's not so much like a ceremonial type of a thing. It's not, yeah. And, um, you know, it kind of, I almost thought it was just gone last year, and then it turns out, like, no, they're still doing it, but it's just not as formal as it was, or, like, invite-only as it was with, with Matt Rule and staff. Right. And it, the restrictions aren't the same either. Like, guys can choose other numbers that are their favorite, you know what I mean, their right. favorite numbers. It's not as, like, oh, my goodness, this is the biggest honor ever being a single digit. So, I don't, it's and not sure enough, same. T-Rex asked, side question, are we still doing that? I thought Aranda ended it. And, you know, I thought so, too, but then last year they rolled out single digits. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, so maybe they are still doing it. And the players involved are like, well, I guess they are still doing it. But, again, it just wasn't like a here's your graphic and here's number one. And right. here's the graphic 15 minutes later and this guy is number two. And then rolling them out like that, that seems to be done with. But... Is it still a thing? It, I don't believe it's a thing like that. So how about we just do, if we were still doing it like Rule did Sure, it, yeah. We can go through three guys that we think could, you know, would be options based on what we've heard, seen this offseason. Uh, I think one of them uh, that I would probably hit on first is Devin Lemire. Uh, he's been out. All spring, I uh, had the shoulder surgery, the shoulder injury, uh, but he'll be back for the fall. And I, I just think he's a guy that's been mentioned a lot as far as being a leader, uh, even throughout the spring when he wasn't playing. And leadership is usually what got rewarded for these positions. The hardest working, the biggest leaders, the guys who, you know, just had a major impact in that way. So I think he would be one. Um, I think you might see like a, a fresh face, one of these new guys uh, that come in that could potentially get one, like a Dominic Richardson. Or Keytron uh, Jackson. Yeah, or a Keytron. Um, I think either of those guys, I, I'd probably say, yeah, I, I'd go with Dominic, I think, though, for that one. Uh, older guy, might only have one year. He could play two, but I, I think he'll probably only be here for one. So he's one. And then I guess a final one. Um, I don't know why I thought like Drake Dabney or somebody like that. Dabney would be one, and I think Josh Cameron would be another one because, uh, you know, being a walk-on and the way he's worked um, to find a role on the field, he would be, he'd be another interesting one that would come to mind. So offense, uh, Josh Cameron, Drake Dabney, Dominic Richardson – yeah, Keytron, Shapen. You'd have to Shapen, think of Shapen. Yeah. Um, 
Those types of guys. Jake uh, Roberts, even, as a transfer, older guy. Yeah, the other side, Devin Lemire. TJ Franklin already has one. Yep. Gabe Hall. I think Matt Jones. Matt Jones, yeah. yeah. But he said ones who haven't gotten right. one before. So I think Gabe Hall. Yeah, Gabe Hall, potentially. Maybe Gabe Hall, Devin Lemire, and one more. You got one more defensive one that you're looking at is... What if, what if, uh, what if Garmin worked his way back? Got I mean, digit. that would take some work uh, yeah. to go ahead and, you know, if we're treating it the same as it was treated, then that means that he's overcome a big offseason mistake mm-hmm. to uh, to work his way up and earn that, and that would obviously be notable. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, if he could grab onto one of those, that would be a sure sign that he's really made his way out of the, the doghouse, so to speak, and uh, is, is thriving, um, yeah. if anything. So, yeah, Garmin Randolph would be – Good, um, if he were able to nab one of those. Yeah. um, And he's 55, and I really need someone to take the number five so that Shapin doesn't wear five like Charlie Brewer did. Oh, yes. I would just really like to to separate from the the parallels there. That's understandable. That's understandable. Sometimes if you just look quickly, you don't realize, and and I think we've all fallen prey prey to that over the last couple of years. Uh, So, yeah, I mean, there's there's a a gang of guys that would all seem to make sense for that, but, yeah, not really sure it's – the same tradition that it was, and they just kind of slowly sort of faded that out without even really saying much about it or anything. Um, but, you know, there's still some of that pull with single digits for sure that, you know, typically your stars wear those numbers or there's a fight for those numbers or something along those lines. So it is notable. Thank you for the question, Big Cheese. And uh, Bear in the Big Greenhouse Doing a draft pick, uh, doing a draft to pick football season tickets with my brother-in-law next mm-hmm. week. We buy seats together and then split the game, so we each have two tickets to each game we pick. If the nice. two of you were snake drafting home games this year, what games would you pick one through eight? Flips a coin, Grayson gets to pick first. Yes, I get the first pick. It's the easy one, too, for me, the low-hanging fruit, the Texas game. For sure. Last game here in McLean Stadium versus Texas for the foreseeable future. Last game against Texas for the foreseeable future. That is easily the 101. Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, you know, I was writing a little preview as we get into the summer months here on the Big 12 schools and, like, with BYU starting off with them and Oklahoma's their biggest game by far. Late November, only time they'll ever probably play them at home ever. And um, only played them twice before, and it was never in Provo. So that's going to be like. So I think for everybody, like the Texas and OU game, it's the last hurrah mm-hmm. for whoever gets those teams. So yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. So snake draft would mean do I go you twice? Get two. Okay, yeah. and it's all home games, right? Yep, only the eight. Uh, so I'm going to go. Uh, give me that Utah game mm-hmm. uh, early on in the year. I think that's going to be a lot of fun, uh, whether Cam Rising plays or not. Um, that's going to be a big non-con. And then give me that Texas Tech game. Yeah. Uh, that's going to be, I think, a pretty good little contest. We know that Baylor went in there and kind of beat them up at their own place. And, you know, there was a little bit of moments there in the second half where that could have gotten a little, uh-oh. Um, but Baylor fended that off. And, you know, the big pick six by A.J. McCarty helped do that. And, and they kind of kicked their butts. They and, did, yeah. Uh, you know, I think that there will be, you know, I don't know that game circle, but there will definitely be like a, a one a – one, I want to get back at you guys for for what happened last year, kind yes. of a feel I would imagine. And plus, they've got high expectations, so yeah, that just that makes all the sense in the world. I don't even need to explain that. Give me uh, give me Texas Tech as the number two game. Those three are the easiest picks. Yeah, I feel like sure. those three make a lot of sense. So now for me, I'm going to go a little outside of the box with my first one, and that's going to be the Texas State game because it's the first game of the year. 
I think that's really cool. It's a great opportunity to be in McLean Stadium. It's a night game during the summer, which is awesome. Uh, you absolutely are going to be thankful for that. So I'll go with Texas State with that pick. Um, first game of the year is always nice. And then I'm going to go uh, all the way to the last game of the year because I think it could have maybe Big 12 title implications potentially at the end of the year against West Virginia. Coming off those two road games against Kansas State and TCU, uh, we're going to know where Baylor is in the in the standings, but we don't know currently today. Um, so that's why I'd have to pick that game because you kind of want to give yourself the opportunity to potentially be there when Baylor is locking up a trip to the Big 12 championship or locking up a, a good season or a bad season or whatnot. So the West Virginia game on November 25th. Yeah, I really hope that they're not trying to still, you know, gain bowl eligibility like last year at the end yeah. of the season. I mean, that just puts a stress on you that just makes everything a little less fun than it should be if you're otherwise booked and knowing you're you're headed somewhere regardless. Well, they did that what the first week of November because yeah. then they lost. Well, they lost three in a row in the year, right? Yeah. So at least it wasn't like the last week, but but you yeah. were waiting for like mm-hmm. where's the next win coming from, right. and then it just was. <laughs> disappointment after disappointment so yeah you were very fortunate you got that but like if you didn't get it when you got it you weren't going to get it at all Mm -hmm. because they didn't win again so um yeah like you'd like to avoid that but yeah you'd also like to avoid that West Virginia game suddenly having some type of pressure on it Mm -hmm. because you've got to win the home game against the Mountaineers to make a bowl game and that would just be disappointing in general with the schedule they have anyways but uh so yeah you went West Virginia right yeah there's Um, only two left um there's three Oh uh, yeah, there. But give me uh, I. Uh, who do I think would be better, Iowa State or Houston? Houston's got like the familiarity appeal because of the it's the new matchup now. What but, I remember, like, Iowa State's going to be like a game though, given yeah. the history between the two. What I remember for Houston is 2020 when yeah. Dana Holgerson's got that bus over at McLean Stadium. And he took a picture of it. Remember mm-hmm. that? Oh, we're ready to play. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Well, I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm getting both of these games anyways. Yeah. I'm just trying to figure out. For your sake as well as the asker of, like, which game would I put in order will be a better game. I don't know. I think the Houston, because it's just – it's new and it's, you know, down the road and it's the start of something new. But, I mean, Baylor and Iowa State play some pretty hellacious games with each other. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, I don't think you can go wrong really with either one of those. But, yeah, those are the obvious choices. That means I get Long Island at 11 a.m. in the summer. I get the the heater. That's – yeah, that's going to be a blowout, but that's clearly the last pick as well, I think, of all the home yeah. games. But it's a great home slate. Well, great, and it's the game that will be the probably the most enjoyable because it's the yeah. one game you feel like on the schedule, like, yeah, they'll definitely win that one by name your score. Yeah. Uh, whereas mm-hmm. every other one might have, like, a little bit of a question mark. I mean, even Texas State's the first game of the year. It's a new coaching staff. Like, I just don't think that they're necessarily just going to go blow them out, you know, right away. But with Long Island, I feel pretty good about they're going to blow them out. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, they're going to beat them bad. So, so yeah. <laughs> so, uh, that's actually not bad in the grand scheme of, like, just go and enjoy and not have to stress out too much. But as far as an attraction goes, yeah, it's not the, the most marquee for sure. So, thank you for that question. Uh, fun to kind of look at that is, and fun to hear about people picking their games they're going to try to get to this year. So, Bear in the Big Greenhouse, thank you for the question and best of luck. Uh, picking football season ticks with your uh, brother-in-law next week. Yeah, and I would recommend trading up into the top three if you can give up a game. So, give you know, you give a, oh, a two-for-one yeah. deal there. I'd recommend that because those top three getting two picks in there, That I think those top three are clearly the, the three best home games. 
Yeah, that's that's not a bad idea. Not sure how receptive he'll yeah. be to that, but <laughs> yeah. you can work on that, and uh, and maybe that's the play there. But yeah, eight home games means there's a lot to choose from, and and that's fun uh, that you get to do that. So, thanks to everybody who asked questions this week, as always in the mailbag. Uh, that'll about do it for us. Thanks to Jack and Garrett behind the scenes, as usual. And a programming note. Uh, We will not be here next week. A rare week off for us as we will enjoy the July 4th holidays like everybody else. And with July 4th falling on a Tuesday, uh, we will not be here for a live show. We'll be back the following week and get into a normal, you know, schedule once again. But uh, no show whatsoever next week. Rare occurrence, but... uh, but one that will be taking place. Yep, absolutely. It's my anniversary as well. So that's, that's really the reason. You know, I was going to be here on July 4th. He was going to do it anyways. I just... On I, America's birthday, <laughs> because that's what we Americans do. We work on holidays. Um, but in all seriousness, yeah, uh, Grayson's bailing out, so we're not going to have a show next and week. And then on uh, the next week, though, we're going to release our All Big 12 teams, our predictions for at least going into the summer and the media days our prediction for the final standings as well so that'll be a lot of fun on that show but outside of that just uh the premium side be sure to check in on content we have all kinds of content coming out recruiting football basketball uh all the sports so be sure to check that if you haven't and then of course monday through friday 365 sports three to six Yep, and uh, we will talk to you then or talk to you at some other point. But uh, regardless, thank you for tuning in. Thanks for listening. Thanks for reading whatever you do to uh, digest our content. Thanks for the support. And we will talk to you in a couple of weeks uh, outside of the, the normal show and all that stuff. Until next time, it's been the Bearcast on Sikkim365.com.